Moms on Maternity podcast and YouTube show. My name is Amy Cruz, and today we have on Lori Levin. She is the author of Call Me a Woman on Our Way to Equality and Peace, as well as a speaker and coach. Uh, welcome, Lori. Oh, welcome. Welcome to you as well. <laughs> this is a great uh, time, I think, to be talking about you know parenting and books. There's so much out there, and I think there's so many wonderful people uh, that I'm learning from. I was on your podcast actually running down the list and listening to oh. them. So I learned some wonderful things as well. So thank you so much for inviting me on today. I really appreciate, appreciate that. Me. Thank you. Sure. So I have lots of questions for you. Um, so obviously to write a book about equality and peace, you must have had some personal uh, moments that kind of impacted you that made you really start reflecting on equality as, as a woman, is it? Yes, absolutely. Tell us about those moments. Well, uh, great tie-in with your viewers. I, I would, I would think. Um, I was a daughter, you know, obviously, and I had a wonderful mother, and she um, got very sick, uh, probably when I was nine, ten years old, and passed away when I was eleven, and that had a profound impact on me. Um, to lose somebody that you know important in your life. It's, it's a devastating experience. And even when I think about it today, my heart, you know, tugs, you know, uh, I think about her daily and the impact she had on my life. What I started to notice as a young teenager was that the quality she brought to our family, love, compassion, kindness, the support for each of us, each of us kids in the family, there were four of us. She was my champion. I loved art. I loved dance. You know, she made sure I had the dancing classes, the paint sets, the you know, the paint, the charcoal, et cetera. Um, I noticed that uh, when I started going to you know middle school and high school, uh, it's felt like the same things were missing that I felt missing in my household, that love and compassion and support. It didn't seem like that was really present. It was about achieving at the expense of one's humanity. And as I got my MBA and I got out into corporate America, became a vice president, and was moving up in the ranks, I noticed again, those same qualities missing, right? Uh, and then went away to college. Um, I uh, was unfortunate, but uh, as many women are today, I was raped my first year of college and went on to be raped again in my 20s. And so I experienced lots of sexual assaults in my 20s. Again, not uncommon in America and in the world. So the book has been in me for decades. And I've been working on it for over a decade. I've done a lot of research. There's a lot of uh, global analyses in there as well, and lots of personal stories. So it was a calling that I think came from me from childhood. Uh, so thanks for that great question. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm sorry I had to go through that. Um, what is the advice that you've formed for parents today related to your work? Well, it's really interesting because, uh, and I've just mentioned the book because on the back of the book, I just wanted to read it. Well, it's not on the final cover. Oh, yes, it is. I take it back. We did revise this kind of going right into the, the final wire here of getting it out. But inside, you'll discover the most important things parents can do to change the world. So that's one of the things I really focused on in the book. Um, you know, raising our children, starting them off equally with one identity, a human identity. You know, why do we genderize identities? Why not one human identity uh, based on love, compassion, and connection? Connection with self, our feelings, feeling safe to feel feelings and express them. Uh, about 50% of the world's population has been raised not to do so. 
and hence I think we have the world that we have today, uh, filled with poverty and think you know war and violence and climate change. These really things all come from acting out of an identity that is about winning at the expense of humanity. So the first habit of health, habit of equality, rather, I talk about habits of health in the book as well as a health coach, but the first habit of equality is starting our kids off equally, one human identity. So when you choose toys, if you look at, for instance, the Timpani's, I think it's called, uh, uh, pronounced Timpani study, you'll see the best toys we can select for our kids so that they creatively, intellectually, and socially develop those areas. Toys are so important. And if we genderize them and we give girls this set of toys and colors and boys this set of toys and colors, it actually sets them on a trajectory that's not really healthy for themselves or the planet as we know today. So that first habit of equality, start the kids off equally, one human identity. I think that's really important. That's my advice in just a moment here that we have. We don't Do you have not to believe there are differences in women and men that need to be appreciated? I mean, is it truly equal, equal? Well, it's an individual thing. We know today gender is actually quite fluid. If you look at Facebook, there's over 50 different genders today. And that's what I wrote, really wrote that section of the book. I would bet maybe they have over 100 today. So it's gender fluid. Why set a child on a trajectory before we even get to know them? And if you set the colors and the toys according to a perceived a social construct, you can in fact really harm that child's uh, advancement in life and the career choices that they might have. So tell us about the title, uh, Call Me a Woman on Our Way to Equality and Peace. Why, why that title? I love your questions, Amy. <laughs> They're awesome. Well, call me a woman. When we finally call women, women instead of girls and all the other names, you know, as an adult woman, women are often called uh, uh, girls, right? up until the day we uh, pass on, but we don't say sales boy, we'll say sales girl, right? There's all these ways that we diminish the quality and the value of women. In the wedding, men are called grooms, men, women are called maids. We wanna look at our language. And so I do include in the book, the habits of inequality. That's a really important one. And a habit of equality, uh, number three is call me a woman. When we finally call women, women, that's the day we respect female, being female in the world. That's the day we will pay women equally. That's the day we will, rep we will vote for women equally, right? And what we do know is when women lead, negotiate, and legislate, we all do better. So these are really important things for us all to understand. What about the idea of peace and the work here on peace, and specifically countries that are peaceful? Yeah, yeah. So I did a global analysis of uh, five global reports that are really key in the world. Uh, the Peace Index, the, the Gender Gap Index, uh, the Prosperity Index, uh, the Environmental Performance Index, and the Happiness Report. These are key studies done by you know, huge consortiums of, organiza of organizations out there in the world today. And when you look at the top countries in the world on those things, you know, they're the most peaceful. They've closed the gender gap. They're best on the environment. People in those countries are the happiest and the healthiest. And in what, fact, the United the top, States is, what are the top countries? Oh, they'd be countries like Ireland and Norway and Finland and Sweden, um, you know, Denmark, Iceland. Um, France is on many of those uh, reports on the top 20. Germany, 
Um, so there's these consistent countries. And when you look at the quality of life and their longevity, much better, performing much better than the United States. We actually rank very low on men, most of those reports. So, you know, no bad news there, I don't think. I mean, it's not great news, but it's, it points to the opportunities that we have as we uh, build our nations, you know, going forward. So, sorry, are those countries that you just listed more led by women? Well, the interesting thing is I actually looked at all those reports side by side, then I overlaid on that the countries led by women. That was very interesting. Most of the countries that perform best on those reports actually have been led by women, most of them. So perhaps 13 out of 20, just throwing that number out there on each of those report would be about an average, 11 to 13. And what other things have these peaceful countries done um, to like be designated as, as successful? Is it just because they have better policies on these topics? Well, there are definitely countries that, again, diversity, including women and men. Women and men are not in their how are, what, what is, how are you? How are they doing that? Yeah, yeah. So the first of all, they're included in their constitution. And in the United States, women only have one constitutional right today, and that is the right to vote. That's the 19th Amendment. That's the only right we have constitutionally. So we want to start with the constitution because as Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, you know, that's the last thing she, that's really what she wanted to see for her grandchildren, her granddaughters, for them to open up the constitution of their country and see women included. We are not, only in the right to vote. So that's really important. Because it says men specifically, not men and women. Well, the constitution really doesn't say men, it says people, but as we know, people, you know, the authors of the constitution, it was men. Because if we didn't, you know, if it wasn't men, then we wouldn't have needed a 19th Amendment. The 14th Amendment does not protect women today, even though a lot of people cite it. That's not the case. It doesn't protect women legally. And in fact, many cases have been brought to the Supreme Court and other courts, and it doesn't hold up consistently. So we were. Right, I would definitely need a refresher on my history. Which, what is that amendment again? Well, what we need is the Equal Rights Amendment. It in fact is our 28th Amendment, but the last administration after 38 states, which is all that is required, ratified the Equal Rights Amendment, directed the DOJ not to ratify it. So we are working on that today and hope that this year, finally, I started working on the Equal Rights Amendment in my 20s, fifth, almost 50 years later, I'm, I'm the point person for the Equal Rights Amendment in, uh, for the Char in Charleston, South Carolina here. We're working to uh, see that South Carolina passes the Equal Rights Amendment. They never have, as well as uh, several other states. We want 50 states, obviously, to pass it. But right now, we, we have ratified the Equal Rights Amendment. We just need it recognized, and that's the work we're doing there today. So if everybody could write and talk to their Congress people, it, does, it won't take much to get it over that final you know, that her final hurdle, but we're very, very close. Got it. What was the hardest part of getting the book done? Oh my goodness. I think, wow, you know, the evolving myself to the point where I could share what I'd lived through in my twenties. I hadn't told my siblings I had gone through those sexual assaults for 30 years. So for them, I think it was really hard to read quite honestly. And as my and you, niece- And first, sexual- I, I was just going to in my nieces as well. I know it was very difficult for them to read. So evolving myself to the point that I was comfortable to share it, 
And since it did drag on, I had a, I was a mother, I was a corporate executive, you know, a lot of things going on. I wanted to make sure timing wise, it was important. So you have to keep revising certainly over time if you don't get a book done within several months or a year. Uh, but it was really, I think, mostly a personal thing, feeling really comfortable and confident in myself to say, hey, I've got something to say and it's worth your time to read it. Yeah, that takes a lot of uh, personal confidence and vulnerability. That's that's very powerful. Um, do you believe then that the root of uh, sexual assault or rape is a culture of inequality? Yes, it is the way that the male the male identity is really the source of just about every problem on the planet, as well as the female identity, because men are taught within their identity it is to dominate women. It's part of the male identity. That's the reason that you see the violence. Five women are murdered in the United States every day. That's huge, right? 150 women a month, over 1,200 women a year murdered. Yet what news do we really see? What kind of attention do we see? There really aren't protests every day and marches uh, for the women that are killed in this country by men. Uh, the rape, the sexual assaults that women, 70% of women in the world have been sexual, have been assaulted, okay? Uh, it is domestic violence that hurts, that does more damage to women than car accidents, muddings and muggings and rapes. These things are really kind of swept under the rug because it's part of the male identity. It's part of cultures across the globe. And until we recognize that, bring awareness to it and start talking about it. And one of the things I knew before I leave the planet, I have to put this down because I have felt a lack of peace in my life, my entire life, because I have not spoken the words that I spoke in that book. Well, I'd love to see men read the book. Uh, number right, one, okay. it is the, it is, mm -hmm. so on the back of the book, I have a formula um, and it's aware, awareness plus seven habits of equality plus love equals peace. We know the most, the most violent, the most violent countries in the women to women most violent countries in the world to women are the most warring countries. And in fact, the United States is the 10th most dangerous country in the world today to be female and one of the most warring countries in the world. Can you read the formula one more time? I'm sorry, what was that? Read the formula one more time. The formula? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Awareness mm -hmm. plus the seven habits of equality that I identify in the book plus love equals peace. Are all of the habits equally important? Yes. Okay. So for women, do they have to make changes too? Yeah, we're equally responsible for the state of the planet. We have been subsumed in, by the male pronoun and we've allowed it. We've been subsumed by men in marriage by taking their last name, et cetera. These are things that again are based on gender and, in, and continue to provide the entitlement and privilege to men that we don't talk about. We don't really have a conversation about that, right? We just assume that women are gonna give up their name. Women are gonna give up their culture and heritage by way of not passing along their name to their children. But 20% of women today, and the young women that I interviewed in the book are not changing their name. They're gonna have conversations with their partners to say, hey, listen, this is important to me. Let's talk about this, right? In, in terms of choosing rather than that assumption so we blindly go into marriage where the children see first often, you know, that, oh, dad's name is the most important one. 
right? So these are the things that we want to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, so, interesting. Women are very um, much part of the solution. Awesome. So you did some interviews as well. What was your reason for performing the interviews? Well, I was really excited to talk to uh, people that I think today I interviewed some wonderful people that have laid the groundwork, have done the work, right? So, and young people. So uh, Lynn Povich, the first senior uh, female editor of Newsweek magazine. Uh, Maxine Clark, the founder of Build-A-Bear, right? Business, we got journalism, we got business. Uh, Gloria Felt, uh, former uh, president of Planned Parenthood, Federation of America, uh, New York Times bestselling author and now founder of Take the Lead, an organization she's so dedicated to women being equally represented in businesses across uh, the country today. Uh, Mark Levin, my brother actually, who's a biotech leader, has been for decades, who always set out to include women in his management teams. And in fact, when he left, one of the biggest pharmaceutical countries in the country replaced himself with a female. And then uh, Zarin Burnett III, a Los Angeles investigative journalist who writes about rape culture. He's brilliant. And then I interviewed young people in chapter nine so that people can see where we're headed, what the future looks like. And I close out you know, by saying, you know, we're in good hands. Uh, these kids are active. They're thinking about the choices they're making. They're not making them blindly based on what their parents did or what cultures and traditions have taught them. So I'm sure all the interviews were very powerful, but is there one you catch yourself reflecting on more than the others, just as, as time goes by? You know, I loved interviewing, well, for, I loved interviewing my brother, I have to say, near and dear to my heart. I just left him last week. We, I hadn't seen him because of the pandemic in a year and a almost two, well, year and a half to two years. So that was meaningful. But because he, we went through a lot when we lost our mom. And on my, when my mom was passing away, she asked him, she asked for three things. And one of them is that he stay home. He was ready to go to college that he stay home to be with his sisters, his younger sisters, wow. to help raise his sisters. And I think he was shaped largely by my mother, of course. He knew how to parent because of her. He knew how to lead and include because of her diversity. And it made such an impact on his life that he is one of those guys out there that I think anybody be thrilled to call brother, husband, friend. You know, so I'm really proud of that and his accomplishments in the world. He has made such a difference in the world that is, today. That is so, so powerful. That wow. one is uh, near and dear to my heart, I have to say. It really does start at home. Pardon me? It really does start at home. Starts at home. Parents are so good. That's why when I saw um, what you do, I have to say, I was so excited because being a mom is the most treasured role in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I lost my mom a few years ago too. So, so it sorry. totally changes everything, yeah. It's a, um, a huge void in our life, but when knowing that they're there with us, they're like every, they're part of every cell we are, we're right, carrying on for them. She was such a part, a voracious reader. I knew I was writing right alongside her. <laughs> yeah. So what is uh, your hope for the future? What does the future look like uh, here in the United States in say 10 years? I am so hopeful. I'm always hopeful. I don't care what's going on. I feel hope because I see change. You know, and that's why I love and appreciate that you're interviewing some older folks as well, because we have a perspective that's pretty uh, special, I think. You can be young and kind of get down. Wow, I'm in a pandemic, I'm in college, or I've got student debt. These are tough things. These are things we're working on. I understand. 
Uh, we don't want to trivialize any of those. However, hope, as I start out in the first page, that's the first chapter, it talks about hope. Remaining hopeful is the greatest motivator that we have. So I am, in fact, very, very hopeful about the future because diversity, including women, including people of all genders, including people of all abilities, of color, of race, of religion, we get our best ideas. And in that place, we can govern and lead with everybody's best interest at heart. We can't do that when we just take out a section of a population, right, and say, okay, make decisions for everybody. It would be like parenting, not including dad, not including mom, not including uh, sisters, not including brothers. We don't, we don't live that way. We don't want to live that way, right? We need everybody's input in order to create the best environment for all concerned. Yeah, and that's not easy. Not easy when you live in a country like ours because we're the most diverse probably on the planet, right? However, we have made extraordinary changes in 10, 15, 50 years, right? So I'm very hopeful. And while the closing the gender gap, it has actually increased the years that the world will close the gender gap. We've made big changes. We've got a lot of work to do. And that's the purpose of the book, increasing awareness. If we are not aware of the things that we do as individuals, that's how we can speed up uh, this whole thing. Uh, best is when each of us gets our part and actually acts upon what we learn. How, um, this is your first book? My first book. Did you always know you were going to write a book? No, absolutely not. <laughs> I had no idea. I was a social worker my first, uh, you know, few semesters of college, then changed the business, got my MBA. Uh, then became a coach. I, I checked out of corporate life after 25 years. I wanted to do work that I was passionate about. So I, my expertise is nutrition. I'm a heart math, uh, you know, if you know heart math, um, certified heart math coach, focusing on stress and anxiety. Uh, those are wonderful techniques that help people, parents, students, whoever, going through life-altering circumstances, health, you know, diseases, so forth and so on. And now I focus on weight loss. Uh, but, you know, it was in the past 15 years, I heard a news story of a young woman who lost her life. She was killed, murdered, raped and murdered because of her gender. And I said, you know what? I've been there too. And I can't imagine what it's like for those parents and for that woman's young, that woman's life to end in a news story. And I said, that's it, Laurie, get busy. I wrote a poem called Call Me a Woman that day. And that's the first part of the book. So um, that was when I realized, get busy, get on this next chapter of your life and, and write a book. <laughs> ah, well, thank you for your work. Um, do you consider yourself a feminist? Of course, always feminist. A feminist only is simple definition. We believe that women and men are equal. That's what a feminist is. That's why the book, uh, Everyone Should Be a Feminist is such a great read. Okay, cool. Well, I am. Um, this is really great to hear. I think that you're a very strong voice for the women out there, as well as the men. And um, we'll definitely be following your work. How do people stay in touch with you? Find uh, you? Well, you can check out the book at Call Me a Woman Book. Don't forget book.com. Uh, there's a, a beautiful website a company created for the book. Um, and then uh, my website is laurielevin.online. L A U R I E Levin. Uh, dot online. You, you, you're a speaker, corporate speaker. Sorry. Oh, I've, yeah, I've spoken over the years to you know companies and 
you know, uh, organizations, health, big hospitals, um, university schools, et cetera. Speaking uh, at Soul Treat in October at the, I think it's called the Art of Healing Center, a beautiful retreat center in Boone, North Carolina. I'll be presenting, uh, be talking, talking about the health component of my work, really passionate about that. Um, I know the best gift, one of the best gifts we can give as parents is our own health. So for all the parents out there, moms and dads, focusing on uh, you know, the habits of health, eating mostly plant food and all the habits of health is really key to preventing illness and disease and, and keeping you happy and healthy and, and with loved ones as long as possible. That's really key. So you'll see some of that in the book, but also on my website, there's a lot more detail about that. Awesome, Lori. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you just got home from that great vacation. And, yeah, uh, awesome. <laughs> all right, well, thank you. Thank you, Amy. Take care. Thanks again so very much. Bye. Bye. For more, please visit www.mamthematernity.com.